Welcome to the very first episode of Winning as Women. I'm Jody Geiger, Revenue Enablement Coach at Clue. And for today's episode, well, we're gonna go back in time a bit uh, to the session that started it all. Back in January, I was joined by three rock star guests who know more than a thing or two about winning as women. Uh, we explored the polarities uh, that play tug of war in us, like preparing for mat leave and continuing to be career focused, loving our families and loving our work. And we talked about the importance of self-compassion during that tug of war and how we sometimes feel like imposters. The session was so great though, that we split it into two. And so please enjoy the first episode of Winning as Women. Excellent, thank you. Uh, so excited to be here. Uh, I think it's going to be a really uh, fun and lively conversation with this group. Uh, I am Jody Geiger and I do coaching at Clue. Uh, I have spent many years growing up within the tech space and within sales and have been fascinated by how people unlock their potential and perform at their highest levels, uh, which I think really led me to uh, my passion, which is coaching and specifically to Clue. Uh, Clue, I haven't seen many companies invest in coaching in the way that Clue has and invest in their people in such a meaningful way. And um, yeah, and outside of work, I wrangle a, a team of toddlers who many days feels like uh, they're winning. Uh, so maybe I'll take some competitive intelligence uh, from their side of the fence. Um, but I'd love to turn it over and introduce our amazing guest tonight. Uh, let's kick it off, Simran. Hi, everyone. I'm the CEO of MyFo. Um, it's my family office. It's a basically family office management in a box. Um, I will talk more about what family office even means as we go on. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Jen Murta. My pronouns are she and her, and I come uh, to you from the unceded territories and stolen lands of the Coast Salish people. Uh, I am an ICF uh, certified leadership coach. I'm the co-founder of Matern, which is Canada's first maternity leave program for women who are transitioning to and from maternity leave. Um, I'm also a mother and stepmother to four, age range from nine to 17, which makes it hard to find a movie for everyone to watch. Uh, mm -hmm. And I spent about 20 years in my career in both corporate and nonprofit uh, and left um, my, my left about two years ago to start my own company. And it's really all unfolded since then. That's a little bit about me. Hi, everyone. I'm Devin. It's such a pleasure to be with you tonight. Um, my journey uh, as an entrepreneur and a woman in business began with my first company, Blow Blow Dry Bar, which I started when I was the tender age of 21 few years ago um, and we scaled that to becoming one of the fastest growing um, concepts in the beauty category over the next decade which led me to developing and supporting leadership in all kinds of human beings uh, which was the beginning of my journey to my current company Sphere. The coaching market uh, has really catered to corporate managers and executives and Sphere is here to change that, to, to drive coaching in its accessibility for the future of work and to support well-being everywhere. Thank you guys. Um, I am gonna throw it back at you to intro yourself uh, quickly, but do it the way your parents would describe what you do to <laughs> their friends. 
Yeah, my, my parents actually don't even really know what I do. Like my dad knows I'm an accountant and he called me when I got on the uh, board for BC Tech and he said, I heard you're the CEO of a company. And I, so I, he, yeah, that's basically how he describes it. And usually I have to like contextualize what I'm doing. So sometimes he thinks I'm like a Mark Zuckerberg because I'm in tech. Um, <laughs> other times he will say things like, you know, I was interviewed by somebody that uh, interviewed uh, Mark Cuban. So that's his like point of reference, even though he has no <laughs> idea what I do. So it's a, everything from she helps people with their money to she's creating a Facebook for money. So yeah, that's how my parents would describe me. Yeah, my parents are 86 and 80. And so I don't think they understand <laughs> uh, exactly what I do, but maybe I should give them more credit. Uh, I don't know. I think they would say maybe something along the lines of I spend my living trying to leave the world a better place than I found it uh, and that I work with women to really support them to become more of who they really are. I think they, my mom would probably say something along those lines. I would hope so. <laughs> well, anyone who knows my mom knows that she is 57 and dialed. So it, there would be, she would not miss a beat, but if I was going to explain how my, I have heard my children uh, explain what it is that I do. Um, my daughter who's five, her name's Clooney and my son who's seven named Rosen. I've heard them say, yeah, my mom uh, is bossing sphere. So I boss, I boss sphere. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Um, okay, so now with this like theme of, of parents um, or wiser versions of ourselves even, uh, I'm going to throw at you um, a prompt of, you know, let's turn back time uh, and you're looking at your 18 year old self. Uh, what would you tell her? I would probably tell her you belong. <laughs> Uh, I would probably, you know, I don't actually know where this story started for me, but I think I lived with a narrative for a really long time that I was never good enough. And I think I spent most of my life trying to prove to other people that I was, but really, I think I was just trying to prove it to myself. And so, you know, I think that story around not enough follows a lot of people and uh, I really became my own inner glass ceiling. So I think I would encourage my 18 year old self to really commit to being in a radically uh, relationship of self-love and not let anyone take that away from her. Hmm. What does that look like for you today, Jen? Radical self-love. Yeah. Ongoing practice every day. Definitely militant on, um, inventorying the inner critic when it gets loud. So I have, uh, really navigated through that. I mean, that voice used to be really, really loud, uh, in the past. So I've been able to quiet that, uh, I've done a lot of research and work around self-compassion, and I incorporate that a lot. So following people like Tara Brock, reading some of her books around radical acceptance, radical compassion, and really it's a practice. It's an integrative practice. I'm really careful with my words, especially in front of my children. Uh, and, and it's also about prioritizing myself because I think in the past, so much of my worth came from my productivity. Uh, and not my just being. So I think uh, one of the things that I've really done is valued myself when I'm not doing anything and, and really made the, make the time for that. Yeah, that shift from doing to being, uh, that's a big one. What about you both? 18-year-old Devin, 18-year-old Simran, what do they need to know? Simran? <laughs> Are you I ready? think I'm 
definitely tell my 18 year old self that the world is so much bigger um, than what you know of it. I grew up in Edmonton in like this small community and, you know, I expected my whole life to continue there. And, you know, I think about it now and like our team members have like professors from Harvard and these are people I never even expected to ever be at the same table as me, uh, let alone be my teammates and be my peers. Um, I, I would go back and just be like, you know, go for it. Like put yourself in those situations, like enter the room, be at the table, ask for it. Um, and, and, you know, kind of echoing what Jen was saying, it's like, I didn't really realize I belonged in a world that wasn't created for me and I can make space for myself and I can have a voice and I can ask for a seat at the table or demand it. Mm. And so that's something I didn't realize was even possible until I got into my thirties. What made you get to that moment where you did realize it was possible? Was there an inflection point? Honestly, I think a huge part of it was like, I, I was really fortunate at where I was when I was at PwC and I was like forced into rooms I didn't want to be in. And so the next thing I knew, I was like advising family offices. These are like very wealthy people looking at me for an answer. And I was a subject matter expert. And so that really shifted it for me. Whereas like, oh, this is somebody that's like very well respected in the business community. That's looking at me to solve problems for their family right like these are very intimate things that matter to them and so I think that shifted it and then being an entrepreneur it's like you are desperate right so you ask people for help you you know like I, I look at the team that I have around me and I I can't believe these people said yes right and then the no's don't matter as much and you know you're kind of like well that person's an idiot that's why they said no so you just like it just is less skin off your back right you you, you just yeah, I, I think you build a level of confidence over time. It's like almost like a metaphor that's coming to my mind around that or an analogy is like when you're a kid and summers are so long and then yeah. now we have summer and I mean, maybe if you have kids at home, they feel so long, um, but <laughs> you know, summers, they feel so short. It's a moment in time because it's such a yeah. you know, small portion of, of your existence. Um, it kind of sounds like that. Like the yeah. there are those, you know, little blips of, of summer they're not as big as we yeah. thought they were felt them as Devin oh um well thank you Jen and Simran for giving me time to think <laughs> um I I spent a lot of my childhood and sort of adolescent years um feeling feeling like I didn't fit in. Not that I didn't belong. I, I felt a deep sense of belonging and had a, a deep sense of like spirituality and, and confidence, inner confidence, but I didn't feel that the infrastructure and systems around me that, that I fit in any of them. Um, I, I didn't resonate with the school system. You know, I would, I would write essays on my math and science exams as to what else I could be doing that was more beneficial with my time. And that's how I would submit my essays. I just didn't, I didn't fit into the infrastructure and systems. And so that 
that as a young person was very perplexing because until you understand that life is just a bunch of choices and that you're going to go and you're going to create every experience you have and, and everything that you want and desire, you're going to be responsible for creating it. Um, I think that I would go back and I'd tell 18 year old me that alternative thinking will become one of your greatest gifts. I feel like that's a story I read about so often or hear about on, um, you know, Tim Ferriss podcasts or something around entrepreneurs or Steve Jobs, you know, talks about being that square peg um, in their, you know, trying to fit into that round hole and no surprise that you've gone your own way and, and done it early. Oh man, I can remember uh, going in to, I, I got accepted lo and behold, to this program to sail around the world. I don't know if anyone has heard of it, but it was called Class Afloat. And it was 182 foot barkentine, two mass barkentine, uh, 40 students. I was, you know, student 40. And um, I, despite my grades, was accepted to this very, very small niche program. And I really had to get an amazing letter from my principal because my grades were, you know, sweepingly D's. And um, I went to him and I said, you know, sir, will you write me a letter of recommendation to go on this program? This is why I should go. And he said, well, you absolutely should go, but I don't know how I can write this letter of recommendation for you because you're almost never at school <laughs> because I skipped so much school. And I was like, oh, like deer in headlights, like, oh, right, right, right. Like, what is he going to say? So I went across the street to where I was spending time. And definitely from time to time, I, you know, did cut class and smoke all the things. <laughs> However, I spent the most of my time at um, an old folks home across the street. And, and so I came back to school with my log sheet of the hundreds of hours that I'd spent across the street at the old folks home uh, when I was skipping math and sciences and um, never, nevertheless, he wrote me my letter of recommendation. So, you know, that, that's where I was making sense of the world with, with real people who had lived extraordinary lives. So we talked to, or I think Simran, you touched a little bit on this, um, you know, uh, I almost want to label it imposter syndrome or like not knowing that you, you know, fit into that room. I think that's like the popular term these days. Um, what would you say around, or maybe if you could dive into what has been your experience with that, if that has been the case, how did you navigate it? Um, any advice you have to others that might be, you know, feeling the same way about getting that seat at the table, speaking up? Yeah, I think I struggle with it all the time. Um, I, I think just even how, like I grew up, like, you know, being a woman of color, it's like, you just don't really grow up thinking that you're going to be a leader, right? I think it's so foreign, even for my parents to be like, oh, a CEO, even though it's like my own company that I started, I'm like, I gave myself the title, right? But you constantly question, like, should I have this role? Should I be doing this? I'm taking investor money. And I'm like hiring people, they depend on me, am I a good leader? And it's really hard, but I also think sometimes it's like, I've just kind of embraced it. And I think that it's now it's like the imposter syndrome is a little bit my superpower 
where it's like, I can be very self-reflective. I surround myself, I get help. I like got a leadership coach before I raised money and said, you know, am I capable of being a CEO before I take somebody's money? It's like, I worked at a corporation for years and I was, you know, worked my way up to a senior level position, but that's very different than being a startup founder. So I just kind of check myself in terms of like, why am I feeling this? And what do I need to learn to then feel confident and like build my confidence on this? And I think that's something that a lot of, I hear so many women talk about imposter syndrome, like very often. And so I've kind of just tried to shift the narrative as it's like, you know, I'm like not going to see it as a weakness or I'm not going to see it as something that's holding me back, but something that I can use to then learn from. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, leaders that don't question and don't reflect that's a scarier thing than leaders who are, are questioning, you know, if they belong and if they should have this much power. <laughs> yeah, I think this notion of imposter syndrome, to be honest, is a bit of BS because I think a syndrome would imply that like some people have this syndrome and some people don't. <laughs> and the truth of the fact is everyone has an inner critic, you know, no matter how we identify. And that's that voice in our heads that really its primary objective is to keep us safe and small. And it has really sneaky ways of keeping us there. Uh, and, and I can say for me, I just really had to become conscious of the voice. You know, where was it showing up? What was it saying? And really, I just started to look for evidence to support the critic. You know, was there any? Uh, I also started languaging the voice differently. So instead of saying, I, you know, I can't do that, I might say, my inner critic thinks I can't do that. I wonder why my inner critic would think that, you know? Is there any evidence to support I couldn't do that? And, you know, sometimes even thinking from a somatic perspective, just even, I used to close my eyes, I would imagine that voice, you know, at really sitting around a boardroom table. And, you know, I'm sure most of us have led meetings in our, in our days. So if I was running a meeting and the whole time my inner critic or my imposter syndrome was like speaking up loudly, would I let that run the meeting? Or would I say, you know, okay, thanks, inner critic. Yeah, you've, you've had your time. Now we're going to move to the person beside you, which is the voice of reason, the voice of evidence, the voice of core values. Like, I wonder what they have to say. So, you know, I, I know, especially for women, we get asked this a lot. And so I like to kind of reframe this notion that everybody has an inner critic and how am I going to manage mine? Because it is around for the long haul and it doesn't care if you have a self-actualized day in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so are you going to let it dictate what you're doing? Or are you going to find some ways to manage it so that you can make the impact that you want to make? I love that, Jen. Thank you so much for calling out that distinction um, around that language. Uh, it also, there's something always niggling me about that. Uh, and I think you absolutely just nailed that. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I will offer um, folks, because in coaching, I use it sometimes, is visualize and give that you know, voice a personality and a persona um, and something awful. So, you know, what does that thing look like? And whenever you start hearing it, you visualize it, like it's coming from a different voice. Therefore, it's not you. It's someone outside of you, not you believing it. Therefore, it's true. Yeah, that's a great tool. I have a, a client who her inner critic, she named Gertrude. <laughs> Gertrude had like this raspy old voice. And, and yeah, personifying it absolutely helps. Mine's a donkey. So I feel... <laughs> Feel that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so thinking about work and life responsibilities, another uh, misnomer potentially out there, this elusive concept of work-life balance or harmony. Uh, talk to me about that. What does that mean in your worlds? This is a, a topic I certainly um, thought about a lot before starting Sphere. Um, I had two young kids. I still have two young kids. Uh, only then they were, you know, three, two-ish, three-ish, and five-ish, and and I was getting ready to launch this business. And you know, I really. I contemplated along the way between Blow and Sphere, many other businesses, lots of them, um, gave lots of business ideas away, workshopped a lot with my mom, thought, is there other things that we want to do together, other, other things we want to do with other people? Um, and one of the big filters, aside from, you know, values and am I... Um, am I the right person to do this? Because a lot of times the answer was like, no, I should go give this idea to this person. Um, it was also, can I do this and, and not compromise my experience as a parent? So that was huge for me. Um, that guided, you know, setting my company up to be a completely remote digital team from day one. Um, the principles around being remote, the expectations we set about around being remote uh, and sort of um, uh, rules, if you will, uh, that we abide by to really make sure that, you know, we can all be of service of what matters most, which of course is, you know, our well-being and the people we love. And when we feel that we're deeply connected to those things, everything else is in flow, we're are highly creative, we have high output. Um, so that was a huge part of my decision making and even starting a business again, and then landing on Sphere. Yeah, I think mine, you know, we don't have kids yet. So, but a, a lot of like, I, I, I left like a corporate job where I felt like I had kind of dialed it in because I had been there for so long with work-life balance and for me it wasn't the hours I was working but it was like more the like I could mentally shut off when I was at a company and it was I think in the beginning like, like I met my partner like six months before I like started this business and and then I started it and it's like okay well he sees me I would go run along the seawall and cry right because <laughs> I'm like what am I doing I left my job this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. And we would have plans. And I was like, no, somebody's like, I got I have to work. Like I would drop everything anytime something happened and everything felt like an emergency in the beginning. And I've slowly had to learn to be, to, to pick and choose and carve out time for myself and carve out time for my family. Um, because that's what, you know, what Devin was talking about too, is like, I'm a much better performer at work and with my work when I have that time to decompress and to like, just like sometimes the best ideas for a problem come to me when I step away from it, right? And so just realizing that it's okay for me to take some time off and it's okay for me to spend time, it's actually much better that I do that. It's much better for my company and my people um, if I do that than if I just am constantly drained by work. May I, Simran, because you just, sparked a thought and um, I, I 
something that I really have embodied in the last two years is, is like, these things actually are work too. So I started to build them into my day. Like the hour, if I, if I go exercise for an hour, I synthesize everything from all of my conference calls on that 45 minute jog. And then I come back and I answer all of my emails with, you know, twice the speed and three times the clarity than I would have had I not gone and had that run. And so I've started to actually understand that just because I'm not sitting in front of my computer or, you know, have my face in my phone, that other things like qualify as work. They are, you know, even if it's cre being creative or going and reading a subject matter that it, it relates back to something that I'm working on or thinking about, it's all work. And that's something that I really- Totally, yeah. Like as an entrepreneur, I feel like you just never shut off, right? So I think like a few months ago, we had to let somebody go from the team and I, I had never fired anybody, right? And so the minute I was like, I think this is what I have to do. I messaged one of my friends that lives nearby and I was like, do you want to go for a walk? And I walked for two hours with her and then came, came back. We, and I, I was like, okay, I just feel like I have so much more clarity and I don't have the anxiety of like, I need to make this decision. And like, what are all, what am I going to do to like, and, and by the time I came back to my desk, my team had come up with like all these solutions. Like if this person's leaving, this is what we need to do to solve everything. And I was like, fine, like a bunch of things off my plate are gone. Right. And so it's, I, I totally echo what you're saying. And it's like, it's so new for me. Like, this is something I've been doing for a couple of months now is like all of that time all builds into like who I am as an entrepreneur and a leader. And it's so important. First of all, I don't think men ever get asked about how they balance their days, but um, you know, balance is just a word I really threw out a couple of years ago. And I think what you know, resonates with me the most is being clear that I'm not abandoning my own needs. Um, and so I've gotten a lot of clarity on when that's happening and when that's happening, what I need to do as a result of that. Uh, and you know, three questions I often ask myself, which came from Kate Northrop's book, Do Less, was uh, one, does this need to get done? Two, does this need to get done now? And three, does this need to get done by me? Um, because women, you know, by and large, still hold 75% of domestic and caregiving responsibilities. And I very intentionally drop the ball a lot in my household uh, because I decide I also need to prioritize my needs. And I language that to my family and to my kids as well, um, because I'm not a huge fan of martyrdom. And uh, I kind of have gotten, you know, life often keeps serving you those same lessons over and over again until you decide to learn them. And I think the last time I burned out, I was just like, this is never happening again uh, and kind of redesigned my life around that. So uh, I think it's important for you to know yourself and what you need and then find ways to prioritize that and ensure you're languaging that. I often say now, I always, I always have enough time to prioritize my needs Instead of saying, oh, there's never enough time. I don't have enough time. I don't like that used to be the old narrative. So really being mindful of my own language. I think um, language is really important around this. 
Um, and to your you know, point, do men get asked that question? Um, and it's an interesting one. I know in my household and my husband is in, in finance. And so I intentionally choose language that's going to, you know, spark for him. And so when we talk about dividing up the household, um, and a couple of months ago, I'm like, you know what, I'm realizing I'm doing all of the cooking and all the groceries and I'm holding that so tightly right now and putting so much on having, you know, these perfectly balanced meals. And I'm just going to loosen my grip on this. And in fact, completely. Um, and we were in a, a sauna session and I turned to my husband and I was like, I just dropped all the groceries and the cooking. Um, are you picking it up? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, are you serious? And I'm like, absolutely. Um, he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, from now on, like, I don't think about what I'm eating because you're always, you've always got me. And he's like, okay. Um, and then like the investing thing. So the, you know, the language, um, something I took from you, Jen, um, I, you know, it's the, that do we, when we parent, it gets in the way of like our work and we're, you know, there's, if you're not in one fully, you're frustrated one way or the other, or you feel guilty one way or the other. Um, and I started thinking about, okay, well, investing and investing in time. And you gave me a term of little people, little problems, big people, big problems. Um, and so that term, I say, ah, oh, we're investing now. Um, in children, and this is actually work, and this investment will grow. And as these little people with little problems that can be solved with a hug become big people with big problems and bigger challenges, um, our investment is there, and it's grown over time, uh, and that will start to surface and show itself. Yeah. So, Jen, I think this one's probably a, a good tee up for you. Is um, how do women prepare for mat leave while staying focused on their career? Oh, yeah. I mean, I could probably take over the entire panel on this one. So I'll just <laughs> be brief and touch on one thing. I think if you know you're expecting a baby, whether you're a birthing or a non-birthing mother, you should also know, you know, you get to determine what kind of maternity leave you want. You get to ask for and communicate to your work what's important to you. And you get to have a conversation about that. Uh, you also have the opportunity to receive support. And if your goal is to continue to grow your career as you grow your family, having support on maternity leave is absolutely critical. And, and I can share on my first maternity leave, I really didn't know any better. And I just thought you didn't communicate with work for a year. And I kind of thought that's what I was going to want. And when I was on leave, uh, it was really hard. It was really isolating. I missed my work. I grieved my old self. And I felt shame about that too, because, you know, here I was with this little girl that I really wanted. And I felt really guilty that a lot of the days I would have preferred to be not work. Uh, and I came back to work a shell of a human. I lost my confidence. I had forgotten who I was. Uh, my second maternity leave, I was smarter. I had the courage to ask for what I wanted, which included a shorter leave, uh, the ability to stay connected to work. I kept my email op open, obviously, with an out of office on, but like just so I could stay updated on, you know, some of those key organizational changes. I had quick quarterly check-ins and I really came back in an entirely different way because I actually felt empowered about my leave. And so I would recommend um, that, you know, women think about that before they go on maternity leave um, and you get to change your mind as well. You know, you might think you want to stay connected and then when you're off, you might decide, no, I actually don't. I'm, I'm good to come back in closer to my return. But, uh, you know, you get to make those decisions as well. And sometimes maternity leave is like that 
um, you know, that 45 minute run, but it's a year or 18 months or six months or whatever it is, that perspective away from the business that gives you some clarity in terms of where you're, you're at in your life and work as well. Oh yeah. It heck of, it absolutely does. Cause it's probably the first time in quite a while that you actually slowed down enough to hear, you know, other voices like women are traditionally having children later and later. And in British Columbia, the average age is 30. Um, and that's changed significantly. And you you know, you're pretty entrenched in your career by age 30. Uh, and so maternity leave, <laughs> you're home all day with the little baby that doesn't talk back to you. You have a lot of time to think. And you're right. Those big kind of life questions start to emerge. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's also a good time to start, you know, recognizing for yourself where you are at that point in your life and, you know, what you want to really advance as you return. I think like, you know, as we're building our team, we have a lot of women on our team too. So if I, I've actually haven't, I've thought about it for myself, but I was, now that I've been thinking about it more for my team, I'm like, I just don't even like the language around, like it's employment insurance, but I'm like, this person's not unemployed, right? I might need to talk to this person while they're on maternity leave. They're like a valuable person to my team. Like, it's like the way we think about it, it's like, okay, you're out of the workforce for a year. And I was like reflecting on it. I was like, I'm really privileged because I run my own company. I can, I don't get the employment insurance, but I can structure it in a way that I have a flexible work arrangement and I can like stay engaged with um, my company. Like it's a conversation my partner and I had with a counselor is like, okay, well, what would work look like for me if we decided to have kids? Like, I'm running a business like how does that function and it's I can create that for myself but most people can't and I think that we need to rethink that model a little bit because I think everyone should have the opportunity to be able to stay engaged with their business like any friends I talk to or people on our own team they're like well I don't I don't want to leave for a year that's not what I want Mm -hmm. yeah it's really interesting just the multiplicitous experiences that there are around this topic and the different desires that there are around this topic. Um, For both of my children, um, I think my son, Rosen, I uh, worked my first full day on day eight of him being born. And Clooney, I think I worked my first full day in like week two or three. And, and that was, you know, part in part where I was at in, in my career and what just needs were in terms of startup life and, um, and the needs of my family. And it's, it, it can also be really, um, I have observed it being really confusing for others who have had kind of quote unquote maternity leave or um, a set amount of time and felt like they were supposed to feel away. Um, But then the reality is if you are at home with anything else, like I was with a a partner who was dealing with a ton of concussions, or if you have someone at home with disability or, you know, the list goes on, um, there can just be so many multiplicitous experiences. And so you know, to speak into to Jen's comment around really contemplating what your unique needs are and um, and 
and inviting somebody into that conversation with you to speak into the the reality of what your time is going to look like um, and how your needs might be different and actually, you know, workshop those needs with your employer. I mean, what what a tremendous opportunity to, to co-create and um, yeah, to imagine a different future where, you know, it's not all just black and white. I think an opportunity there too, um, in what you're saying um, for self-compassion, like Jen was talking about, you know, it's okay to have the experience that uh, you have a child and you do want to work right away and it's okay not to. Oh, and I mean, if there's just limitless potential, right. in in approaching things that way, um, and I just think that it gives you and your employer such an opportunity to use your imagination. Like there just, there just doesn't have to be rules. We don't have to do things the old ways if we give ourselves and our teams the opportunity to imagine new possibilities. Yeah, it was like shocking to me when our counselor said, well, you don't have to take a year off because your friends took a year off. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you're, she's like, you're not, you're not a bad mom. Cause I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to want. Right. Um, when, when it comes to that time, you just have no idea. And so it was, uh, it was very eye-opening to have somebody say that to you <laughs> as a grown woman, like yeah. in your thirties or forties, like you don't have to have a Honda Civic cause all your friends do in high school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so shifting gears um, a little bit, unless there's anything more to to um, add or questions from the um, from the community that's joining us here today around uh, maternity leave and balancing work and life. By the way, I've been I've been reading this. I, I can see that Jen has too. Simran, you probably have as well, knowing you. But there's been so many great gems in the chat. Thanks, everyone. Oh, please call them out. I cannot multitask that way. I have to stay fully present. Otherwise, I will just be like only in the chat and forget that I have a different job. So <laughs> if you guys can tell Yeah, Jodi, there was a question here by Shannon. Yeah. And she said, how do you manage the pressure or expectation from your husband's about the time you spend on your business? My husband constantly thinks I'm working, but really I'm just needing, nerding out on the things I love. It just happens to be in front of a computer. <laughs> a good question I think no matter you know what kind of partnership uh you're in um I think communication is key and I know if you know I know if if my partner my husband uh is feeling maybe neglected he's gonna start nitpicking on things like oh you're you've been on calls a lot recently and that's usually a a bit of a time for me to have a conversation about how needs are being met in our relationship so uh, I think sometimes leaning into courageous conversations and having a lot of open communication as best as possible. And, you know, we kind of look at our weeks on a Sunday and say, this is what's coming. I mean, you wouldn't even want to see our Google calendar. We've got like four kids coming in and out of the houses to two other households, like plus all of their activities, plus all of our work. Um, and so, yeah, we, we really keep the communication open and, and I'll be honest with him if I'm like, hey, this is a really heavy work week. Um, I'm probably not going to be as present, but like on Thursday night, let's make sure we, you know, we've got two hours together to do this or something. So I, I think like the open communication always avoids the feeling of people being hurt or like creating sometimes that passive aggressive behavior where with like the comment dropping and that you're always on your computer and you love your work more than me and like those things that'll kind of come out how to when that happens how do we address it so that's just a little bit about you know what's worked for me 
Yeah, it sounds, I think, very different to say you're always on your computer versus, hey, I'm feeling disconnected. You know, I need some, I need some love. And I don't think that's always um, feels safe or the norm. It's, it's vulnerable. Um, but having that framework of set up is, is amazing if you can get there. I, I'm not sure if anyone's had this experience, um, but what I've found really helpful, both for myself and others, is uh, calling out periods of time. So Jen talked about, you know, this week will be a really heavy week. And, um, you know, in, in launch life or startup life, sometimes you're going through a raise or you're, you know, you're doing a 90 day roll into a big product launch. And so it, it's quite interesting because when we really love our work, everything we do can feel the most important all the time, which also is unkind and not fair to the rest of the household. So it's like, it, it, it has been such an opportunity to really identify where are the moments or the periods of time where you're really saying, Hey team, you know, whoever, whether, whether you have a partner or not, whoever else is in your household that can support you. And, you know, this is what's going on for me. I'm going into an X day circuit where my needs are going to be this. I'm not going to be super communicative, or this is what I'm going to find challenging. I need support in this way. And then you've got to be prepared to offer the same and support in the same way in return for whoever you're asking that from. So there can be uh, just an, uh, a lovely harmony and sort of dense, if you will, of supporting each other um, through, yeah, really intense times of creation or launch or push. You know, when you're birthing things at work, not just at home, you need support. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. <laughs> Um, I have a, another question here that's popped up um, around, uh, probably to Jen, but for maternity leave, what are you seeing in trends on it in Canada? Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was organizationally or individually uh, in terms of the trends, but I think organizationally, what we're seeing and hearing from a lot of organizations is that uh, they are fully understanding that in order to attract and retain and develop female talent, that they need to address uh, the, the impact of the maternity leave pause on, um, you know, employees. Uh, you know, maternity leave and the years surrounding it represent the single largest point in which women off-ramp from organizations. And that's specifically after the birth of the first child. Uh, you know, the tipping point might suggest it would be the second or the third, but it's the first. And that's a conversation that's going, you know, largely under addressed in the, in the whole, you know, gender equity and power gap conversation. And so I think they are understanding and being open to new ways uh, to really support women throughout that time. Um, we're also seeing a lot of really interesting uh, new benefits um, coming from organizations. They're recognizing that, you know, maybe an incremental top up isn't enough. Uh, and that women really need support. Um, there's a kind of a new trend evolving that we've seen that a lot of women returning from maternity leave are actually going on long-term disability because they're feeling so overwhelmed with the return, especially in a COVID world. And uh, we've heard that from a lot of organizations. So, and we believe Matern is gonna address a lot of that because we wanna normalize the experiences that mothers have uh, during this time and no one really talks about it. 
Um, individually, I mean, seeing more and more women on uptake uh, perspective taking 18 months. Uh, I think it's important to know the longer the leave, the harder the return. Uh, but, you know, we are seeing more and more take, women taking that 18 month uh, off. Um, and um, I mean, from a trend perspective, individually, it's, it's very subjective. We're also seeing a lot more partners taking parental leave, which is great, but they tend to not take the bulk of the leave. They still take, you know, less amount of time, maybe eight weeks. Um, and so, yeah, it really kind of ranges, but I think um, the conversation and the dialogues we've had with all the organizations we've spoken to over the last couple of months, there's a real understanding um, for the need like a program like Matern. This is not a new problem. <laughs> um, the pandemic has only further amplified the inequities that mothers face and it's really time to action change. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I could talk a lot more about that, but I don't wanna dominate the conversation. <laughs> No, I think that's really helpful for people. Thank you. Oh, it's so important, Jen. I mean, just as you said, it's, I, I think we've all seen the statistics over the last two years of what the pandemic has done uh, for women in, in households where there are partners and, and for mothers. And it is, uh, it is quite alarming how so much of the load is still carried by women. Um, yeah, it's quite alarming. I love the, um, the mental load is, uh, yeah, a very um, heavily used words around <laughs> my household. And uh, a tool that we use often is, because um, the frustration of mine is when my husband's like, so, you know, is there anything I can do to help? And I immediately, like now he knows, I'm going to go, oh yeah, I mean, share with me what's going on. What do you have in your, on your mental load right now? What are you carrying? Um, what are you considering? What do you know is up and coming? What is it that we need to take care of? And then he's like, there would be, <laughs> so like start thinking, great. Like how, do, how should we tackle it? Um, and I think that that's just shifting that narrative is rather than being like, oh, how can I help? do this, do that, you know, I'm not the taskmaster that must carry all of this stuff secretly in my mind, right? We can, again, mm -hmm. drop those balls or loosen our grip um, and trust that someone in our life can also support and pick up. And people are very resilient and capable, including children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. And, and, you know, I think it's, it feels really important for me to add that, um, that I think there's a lot of emphasis on on sharing that with your partner in my world a huge emphasis is actually my kids grandparents and um, because of their my my children's dad's concussion he's not the person that can share the load or pick up the balls so it is it it is looking out sometimes to your larger community of support and and you know establishing that that uh, communication and letting people know where where you do need that support and you know where you need to where you do need to drop a few balls so you can thrive in some other categories um so yeah it's it's i think there's a huge opportunity to not just look at you know your partner um if that's not doesn't feel possible for you to go to the next layer such an amazing experience getting to talk with Simran, Jen, and Devin. Uh, we were immediately intimate, instantly transported to a comfy couch in our living room, and we learned that language matters. Uh, instead of saying, I can't do that, 
we can label it differently. I can say, my inner critic thinks I can't do that. And distancing ourselves from our own inner critic gives us space to play, innovate, elevate. Uh, Jen shared that women hold 75% of domestic and caregiving responsibilities uh, and gave us a permission slip to intentionally drop the ball in our households. I mean, pass the ball, drop the ball. It's not all on us. Uh, if you're as excited as I am for more Winning as Women content, good news. We'll be releasing the second half of my chat with Simran, Jen, and Devin in episode two of Winning as Women. Uh, feel free to reach out to me with your questions, feedback, future episode topics on LinkedIn. I'm Jody Geiger, and for everyone that's listening, thank you, and catch you next time.